Welcome to the That's A Wrap podcast, the show where we, me and Matty P, wrap up the latest films that we've seen. I'm Joe Downey. And I'm your co-host, Matt Parkinson. The date of recording today is the 2nd of February and the time of recording is 5.30pm. For the latest updates, remember to follow our Instagram pages at TAW Podcast. That is TAW Podcast. If you ever want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open over there. You can check out our Facebook page if you type up That's A Wrap Podcast or TAW Podcast and make sure to give us a like and share where available as it really helps out the show. When it comes to major, major listening DSPs, we are available on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Overcast and Apple Music. So again, make sure to give us a follow and download on those platforms and leave a review where available as it really helps out the show. If you guys would like to keep up to date with the latest films that we've seen both in and outside of the podcast, you can check out our Letterbox film pages at Joe Film User and Clappy P. The opening and closing jingles that you hear on the show are by Philip Buster, so please check out his music at soundcloud.com forward slash philipbuster underscore official. A bit of a mellow one. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's weird to say Happy New Year because we've had a slog over January. <laughs> this is the first first episode of 2022. I've I've had a busy uh, January, so it's been yeah, it's been a it's been a tricky one. <laughs> it's just January's such a slow month, isn't it? It feels. I was thinking about this. It feels more like the overture to the year, and now the year's <laughs> beginning. You know, this is this is month yeah. one. <laughs> Honestly, for me anyway. I don't know. <laughs> prologue and a half. But uh, yeah, um, uh, what, what's a good way to catch people up? Uh, what, so, oh, okay. <laughs> Here we funny, go. Uh, funny, a bit of Judas uh, <laughs> behaviour. I knew so this was going to said to, When I said for us to, for, for you guys to follow our film page, our letterbox pages, um, do you want to tell them that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm no longer using, I'm no longer using Letterboxd, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Uh, I stopped For using shame. it. I stopped using it on the 31st of December 2021. So you can still catch up to the films I've seen up until then. But after that, I'm afraid I'm not using it. And I just, yeah, I just decided to stop because while it was good using Letterboxd, I felt like it was, film watching was becoming like a target to meet rather than just fun and it was like like not to knock anyone who uses it because you know up until a month ago that was me but like i just thought i'd give it a break and feeling fully knocked i think it would make me feel more relaxed if i don't use it for a bit but i have just added a list of all the films i've seen that came out in 2021 ranked from worst to best so if you want to check that out you can and like i said you know i've got two years worth of films logged on there so go nuts go look at it There you are. Uh, what, what, obviously, don't tell them all of it. What's your the worst film of the the year for you? Uh, the one I ranked at the bottom was uh, Conjuring Three: The Devil Made Me Do It. Not because it's like aggressively bad, but it was just like reflecting on the films I saw. It was probably the weakest. I and I, I nearly had Godzilla vs Kong at last spot, but Ooh. then I thought, nah, it was fun. They had the big monster fight that has that going for it. Conjuring Three didn't have that. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I guess that was my last one. <laughs> cool. And anything, anything cool you've seen lately? So I've been to the cinema a lot. So as I'm moving out of Bournemouth, I've been trying to go to the cinema a lot more to take advantage of my Limitless card. I've seen a bunch of films. Uh, I won't go through all of them because we don't have time, but some particular highlights were I finally saw No Way Home in the cinema, which was really good. I liked it a lot. I'm not a big Marvel guy usually, S- but Spider-Man I was actually quite pleased with it spider-man no way home yes (laughs) 
Uh, I saw licorice Ooh, I pizza. A tiny delay. But a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I saw licorice pizza in the cinema, which was really, really good. And probably the best film I've seen in the last year or so is West Side Story, the Spielberg adaptation. It's really, really fantastic. I experienced the full gamut of human emotion watching it. Please just go watch it if you haven't seen it already. What about you, Joe? So if, if you like... Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, if you like like experiencing the gamut of full emotion, check out West Side Story. Uh, particular highlights, uh, or just some random ones, I guess. Uh, so, Titane, or Titane. Mm. Um, that will stay in my head a bit for a while. Uh, I saw Nightmare Alley, which is kind of 50-50, but it's something I've seen recently. Uh, what else have I seen? Do you know, I can't remember. Uh, I've seen these films today. Yes, the uh, podcast films. <laughs> God, blimey. Oh, I, I I finally watched In the Loop. I've been meaning to get that off my watch list. Huh. Um, it's all right. It's, uh, it's like watching a radio play. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so funnily enough, uh, a segue and a half, Letterboxd is an app from New Zealand, and that's a kind of a theme today with New Zealand filmmaker Jane Campion. Now, I guess before we get into, oh dear, I'm, I just saw just the, a stifled laughter there. There we are. Perfect. <laughs> um, oh dear. Before we get into today's films, from what we've seen, Matt, how, how best would you, like if you were to elevate a pitch, her film, filmmaking style to someone, how would you, how would you do that? Oh dear. Sorry, you're... Um, your audio kind of clocked out for a bit, but I'm guessing what you said was, how would you pitch Jane Campion to people and her filmmaking style? Yeah. Right, okay. In an elevator <laughs> way. The Wi-Fi is not great, as is another reason as to why we don't yeah. record often, but yeah. Um, Sorry, T-Pain fans. It's interesting. So these three films we're about to talk about, I've I've seen them only for the first time for this episode, and I know some of these films you've actually re-watched, and from what you told me, these are films that improve on rewatch and mm. I, I do get the sense of that with some of them in the sense that with at least a couple of them they're films you kind of have to be patient with and you know they might not wow you from the get-go but if you kind of reflect on them a little bit you might like them a little bit more than you did on first yeah. watch that's the case for at least two Definitely. of them i guess uh yeah we'll, we'll get into it further but uh, yeah that's kind of uh, the extent and matt matt with when you deal with Dogs, you have to be quite patient, I'd say. Um, and that's our first film today is The Power of the Dog. <laughs> what was... Okay. F- fuck it. I'm not you even going to... patience. Oh, oh okay. I heard a segue <laughs> in my head and I was waiting for you to finish. I was I, like, I here we go. I didn't hear it. Uh, Power of the Dog. Do you want me oh. to... Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Do, do you want me to give my synopsis right. of The Power of the Dog, our first film for today? Well, well ladies and gentlemen... Um, I've, I've also got my own synopsis. It, it only took two years to provide my own, but I've got them. I've done some. We're, we're, we can do a synopsis off without Google. So Joe versus Matt in the synopsis war. Um, who, who goes first? You can go first. Okay, so The Power of the Dog. I've written... Two brothers, Phil and George Burbank, played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons, work on a ranch when one of them falls in love with a waitress and widower named Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst. Uh, Dunst. Once Phil finds out about this marriage, 
and Rose and her son Peter, played by Cody Smith McPhee. Once, no, once Phil finds out about this marriage, I can't grammar. Once Phil finds out about this marriage and Rose and Peter uh, are introduced to the Burbank family, I've put that Phil Burbank takes an evil turn. It's a bit vague. But yeah, got there in the end. Uh, all what, right. What have you got? Uh, so mine is, so this is a film set in tw- 1920s Montana and features two successful ranchers, one brash and obnoxious, the other reserved and modest, uh, who meet a widowed owner of a local inn. The more modest of the two ranchers begins a relationship with her, causing his partner, the more obnoxious rancher, to spiral into a petty game of hostility towards her and her effeminate son. It's a lot more eloquent. That's why <laughs> Matty P gets paid the big bucks. I, I get paid shit. Joe, where's my money? <laughs> the, the bucks being experience and exposure. <laughs> I stupidly didn't write my synopsis after watching the film. I waited a few days, but yeah. That's fine. Yeah, it, it, it's like you know, you've got to mull over that wine, and that seems like that's how Power of the Dog is. Because the first time I watched this, I watched this at um, London Film Festival. I really didn't like it. Uh, I didn't get the hype. Uh, I thought the plot kicked in at essentially the end of the film, uh, and I just I didn't. I thought it was just Benedict Cumberbatch being a dick. The movie. That that's how I found it. <laughs> uh, whereas the second time round, it's a lot more different and nuanced for me. Um, as a first time watcher, Matt, how how was that experience? I liked it. So going back to what I said previously, this is one of those films that, as it was for you, doesn't wow you straight away. It is quite a slow, sort of reflective film that you have to kind of sit with a little bit to to fully like. I think. Um, and yeah, my first note is here, I, I like the slowness this film has, not just in its plotting or its pacing, but also in the way it's directed. I think whatever in here is, I, I like the way Jan, Jane Campion, she she likes to hold on shots for a long time, especially on like the actor's faces, and it really lends itself to this sort of awkward atmosphere that the film has to it. Because one of the things I think this film does really well is sort of convey awkwardness really well because right. I think so I, I like the the three characters a lot so you have these two ranchers one played by Benedict Cumberbatch who's this really sort of obnoxious kind of foul-mouthed self-righteous rancher and you have Jesse Plemons his, his brother isn't it I think mm. yeah who's a lot more yeah. kind of modest and reserved and he obviously falls in love with this uh, widowed innkeep in owner played by Kirsten Dunst, and that sort of causes this awkward tension between the three of them because Plemons and Dunst form this relationship. Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't like it, and he's trying to constantly, for the rest of the film, drive a wedge between them, and it doesn't feel very overt in the way the film does it. It's very kind of subtly played. One of my favourite scenes in this film is... Um, so there's a scene near the beginning where Kirsten Dunst's character is trying to learn piano, and yeah, every well, time she talk about this, <laughs> yeah, every time she doesn't quite get the notes right, Benedict Cumberbatch's character um, taunts her because he has like a little yeah. uh, is it like a banjo or a yeah, guitar a banjo, or something? Yeah. It's a banjo, yeah. Every time she tries to play a particular song on the piano, I can't na- remember the name of the song. He uh, plays it on the uh, guitar, interrupting her, and it's just it's a good kind of. 
that one scene kind of represents the whole dynamic for the whole film, and I, I really like yeah. that. And the way it's directed is really good as well, how every time she messes up, it slowly zooms in on her, and then it cuts this low angle of Cumberbatch. It's, it's good. It's a really good scene, and it's, for me, like one of the highlights of this film. Yeah. It's interesting you say that the film's not as overt, because I do find that scene to be one of the most overt parts, but it's still... It's not like directed like an action scene or anything. It's just like... It's, yeah. It's just this very good piece of contention. And I think with a lot of these films, or at least two out of three, uh, Jane Campion's films seem to be quite multifaceted and, and you can look into different aspects of what you can interpret. And one of those in that scene is how uh, Phil as a character seems to like uh, not like this idea of um, being prim and proper and class and stuff like that. And I think he kind of sees Rose's piano playing as like a threat and doesn't doesn't like showing up to the family dinners and stuff. And he kind of proves that he can play the same tune, but on a banjo. He likes to like prove that he's like homegrown and all this other stuff. Yeah. Whereas I think his character would like, was actually, is, is, it's mentioned that he's actually quite clever and he can like, he actually studied at these quite high up places, but he's, he's like deliberately like covering himself in mud and trying to, <laughs> on the show of being rugged yeah uh when you know a lot of it is performance and in, in general his character is just tormenting all the time and it, uh, yeah there there is a real insecurity it, to him you're right it's and it's done oh, yeah, quite majorly. well that's, yeah <laughs> say that's a, a theme in the film because i i put in my notes that essentially for all these films the theme is repression but definitely uh insecurity with power of the dog um mm. And, and a lot of people have been saying that it's about masculinity because Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil Burbank, is uh, obsessed with this uh, male figure that we never see. That was is a past character called Bronco Henry and the affection uh, and the looking up that he has of this character and what how that's how he's essentially throughout this film trying to become that figure. And then ends up coming that becoming that figure for uh, Cody Smith McPhee's character Peter. Um, just trying to think how much we can talk about that. But um, I remember when I first watched it, I well even on the second watch, I kind of was thinking, why does why does Phil why is Phil so angry about Rose and and uh, and George getting together, and and why is it that he sees Rose as a threat and. I can't really, I don't really know why, apart from, you know, just he has a very close relationship with his brother. Like They sleep in the same room before she arrives. Um, I guess it's just that worry about, like, his little brother getting taken from him, even though he bullies the brother. I don't know. What did you think of that? What, what do yeah. you think of the idea of Phil seeing Rose as a threat? I, I think, yeah, I think that's about right. I, I would say, because at the very beginning, it does show a kind of inkling of the dynamic between the two brothers. And you're right, Benedict Cumberbatch kind of picks on Jesse Plemons a bit in a sort of like older brother kind of way. Like he, he's used to having control, I think. He's used to being yeah. the sort of the buck stops with me kind of thing. So when this other person is introduced who kind of drives a wedge between them, he thinks, oh, I'm not in control anymore. Who, who do I have? if I don't have my brother, right. which causes him to act out like, like a child, essentially, mm -hmm. and put up this sort of gruff persona that he needs to sort of perpetuate. Because it kind of relates to the time setting as well, this sort of the 1920s when, 
you know, men had to be masculine and, you know, rough and tumble. And it, and it's, you know, it yeah. still holds true today in, in some aspects of culture, but like, especially back then it was, it was that. And, and like I said before, it does it a lot of the times it shows that without dialogue or dialogue that isn't too on the nose. I think out of the three films we're talking about today, I don't know if this is necessarily the best one, but it's definitely the most nuanced mm. of the two films, mm. of the three films. It's the most complex, I'm, I think, I'm really the most sorry, layered. Matt, I've just got to, I'm sorry, Matt, I've just got to quickly address, if anyone's hearing violent fridge humming, I can't do anything about it. It's just happening <laughs> in the middle of this, and I'm really sorry. But yeah, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Get me some food from your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh well <laughs> um yeah no i i think it it is definitely a film that you know you need to reflect on and uh, as well as the characters being well written i i would like to say i think the performances are really good as well so i've heard yeah. mixed things online about cumberbatch's performance as this character but i think I, he's good for the most part i when i first watched it i did feel like some bits were the best way I put it was I felt like some of the bits in the film were a bit GCSE drama, but then <laughs> on on rewatch, I feel like he is, his character is really well lived in. Um, it's just, and he is making you react the way you want him to in, in that, in that you detest the character. But for me, I didn't see that when I first watched it, I didn't see the nuance in that. Uh, it's essentially just him being a dick throughout but on second watch, the film wants you to react that way. And then once the second half comes in, it's a lot more nuanced and multifaceted and that you fit you. It's not necessarily liking him, it's sympathizing for certain elements. And uh, what's interesting is, uh, what's an interesting part is that he's, he's a very uncomfortable, insecure character. And then when, once Peter gets introduced to him, Peter is like the opposite of, the masculine archetype in that time frame. He's someone that's very effeminate or metrosexual and is is comfortable in that. Like he walks around in these like bright gray, uh, like slacks kind of, and yeah. uh, and is trying to and try, and even how he waits the tables. Everyone kind of laughs at that and doesn't understand that image at that time frame, but. Uh, I think what's kind of revealed later on is how uh, Phil becomes to admire that comfortability and that's how they go from like this this uh, hate relationship to kind of slowly becoming friends at least in Phil's eyes Um, and yeah and then the whole idea of uh, Phil becoming this Bronco Henry archetype uh, and I'm tiptoeing around that because I'm not sure (laughs) <laughs> what kind of can't be mentioned so i, I was um, uh I, I was reading up on this film again after watching it and because you mentioned about how phil benedict cumberbatch's character befriends peter later on in this film after yeah. being quite hostile to him at first i thought it was him genuinely trying to befriend him but then i read up on it online and some sources say it seemed to be out of spite that he was befriending him try his he was making what, friends to make with them. Rose uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that's it, if I, that's the case, I think that you can didn't... look at it different ways because yeah. he, at, he at the end of the day, he still it's he still feels uh, he still acts like repugnant to Rose throughout. It's only with the male characters that he is a, like eases up 
if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Um, he still he drives her to like alcoholism and all this other stuff, and he's just like, uh, really like carrying his weight around the house and making himself known wherever he is, and like yeah. um, making himself stink and everything like that. Yeah. Um, just while we're talking about that, what did you think of uh, the character of Rose and Kirsten Dunst in the film? And then she we can pretty... go on to Jesse Plemons, I guess. But... She was, I, mean, I was going to say like a blanket statement about all the performances and that I thought they were all sure. quite good. I think going back to the sort of awkward nature this film has, I think the performances reflect that the best. They all seem to be these very sort of uneasy performances, I think, especially Kirsten mm-hmm. Dunst. She is very good at being this kind of uneasy sort of person in turmoil. You, you get the sense that she's being tortured by yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch's character. What, what, what did you think of, of her performance? No, I, I agree. You can see that she's just being, she's like, her coils being wound up and up and up and she's going to reach a breaking point. Yeah. Um, also, I, I always forget that Thomas and Mackenzie's in this. I don't know when this was filmed because it seems to be before, like, she's obviously bigger now because of Jojo Rabbit and Last Night in Soho and she's in a, she's a very small part in Power of the Dog. Yeah, I remember she's in like the background or something, isn't she? And I was yeah. like, oh my God, it's her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and what an interesting fun fact is, I'm sure it helped for the performances, but uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are married in real life. Hmm. Method acting. And I think... I think, yeah. <laughs> I think they were married before the film. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and I think it was originally, I think Jesse Plemons was originally meant to be played by Paul Dano, but he was doing Batman, so Jesse Plemons was in it instead. Hmm. Uh, and I think also Elizabeth Moss was meant to be in it. But um, yeah, I I don't want to spoil anything. With this <laughs> I think it's much better on a rewatch. Like, uh, it's been, I think Benedict Cumberbatch described it as a Western without guns, and I agree because it's like, it's just that's more. It's, it's only really a western from the aesthetics. The the film in general is a slow burn drama. Um, one one thing I wanted to mention was I found that the Johnny Greenwood score is quite forgettable. Yeah, I forgot he did the score. <laughs> exactly. There you are. <laughs> uh, He's had a busy year, hasn't yeah, he? Actually, Johnny Greenwood. He has. Yeah. yeah. And Spencer and. Licorice pizza, else, I think. Spencer, didn't he licorice do licorice pizza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, and this yeah. as well. Um, uh, so, you, so you want to kind of avoid some of the deeper subtext with this film, just to avoid spoilers for I some guess people. Because so. that, that's, I, I, that's I, fine. I, I'm fine with that. I, I, I guess obviously we're reaching kind of a wrap up, but there's parts of me that still wants to mention bits and bobs because I don't know. It's not a case of selling it or not because the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. But yeah. I'm trying to think why people should watch this without us tiptoeing around it (laughs) (laughs) i think Um, well yeah uh, just because of the points we've touched on i guess it it is um it's it's an interesting film from a character perspective the three main characters make for a good especially benedict cumberbatch's character it makes for a good character study on this sort of this toxic masculinity and pettiness that he exudes throughout the film and you know as the film progresses it reveals more and more about his character, which we won't touch upon for the sake of spoilers, sure. I guess, but it does make it more interesting from both a contextual level and from a narrative level. Um, mm. Yeah, the, the, it is a film you have to be patient with. I think it is 
very. I, I do have to admit, it's not a film I'm rushing to revisit, I have to say. I don't think I okay. enjoyed it so much that I want to immediately go back and watch it. Like, right. I do appreciate it, especially from an analytical level, like picking it apart, all the things that mm. are good about it. But it is, it is quite slow. It is quite dry at certain points. Like, uh, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of levity in this film. It is just kind of a lot of stone-faced characters i think being stone-faced um and visually like although jane campion does well with holding on shots and creating this sort of awkward atmosphere through the very slow editing i felt like direction wise there isn't much else there for me to latch onto a lot of people are praising this film for its cinematography and i'm kind of wondering i do think the film looks kind of great it does but i'm thinking is that great cinematography or is that great location or finding landscapes yeah yeah cuz like i i recently it could be, like i i rewatched there will be blood recently for i don't know how many times i've seen it before but um that's a film that's again praised for its cinematography and has these you know beautiful landscapes but you watch it and it's mm. also a film that takes into account lighting and blocking and lenses and you can actually right see why it's whereas with this it all kind of looks a bit flat and brown and it's like yeah the mountains okay. look good but yeah they're, they're mountains i'll you know <laughs> <laughs> i did have a question did 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 you see the the little could you see the little dog illusion in the mountains that they talked about i could yes i couldn't i both times i haven't been able to see it. really i spotted it straight away oh i guess you know i'm What's it? Um, the person Brock- I was watching it with originally as well could see it, and I was like, uh, I was like, I, <laughs> just I, like squint. Like, guess you can't be. What's it? Uh, you can't be Bronco's successor or whatever. It. Yeah, <laughs> I can't be on the ranch. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing yeah, something well, uh, with the cinematography, but that's just my take on it. It's that's completely fair enough. It's currently yeah. available on Netflix. It's her newest film. There, there was like a twelve-year gap from when she last directed. I think it was Bright Star that she directed before this, and she'd done TV, but there was quite a big gap film-wise. Um, it's based off a Thomas Savage book, I believe. And yeah, let us know what you think. Um, it's her most recent and most popular film at the moment. Um, and we're now going to get into a kind of not-so-popular, kind of in the middle ground of... of uh, pop, not middle ground of popularity. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like overlooked Jane Campion film. Sure. Uh, which is In the Cut. Um, what did you say? Oh, I said sure. I, I was just... Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, Discord is brilliant. Um, right, so synopsis off. I've put Franny Avery, played by Meg Ryan, is a school teacher... Oh, my Coke can fail. Uh, Franny Avery, played by Meg Ryan, is a school teacher who lives in an apartment, in an apartment complex where there has been a murder. When meeting a student at a bar, she witnesses a sexual act that could potentially that could potentially be linked to a detective Malloy, played by Mark Ruffalo. Here we go for this little unnecessary poeticness, Matt. I've put the road tangles when Franny and Malloy become romantically intertwined. That's very Two romantic. <laughs> Two thumbs up, yeah. indeed. Right, shall I give you mine? <laughs> yeah, go on. Uh, so this is about an English teacher who forms an intimate relationship with a police detective who's conducting an investigation into a series of murders happening in her neighbourhood. As she grows closer to him, she begins to think he's not who he seems to be. That's my much more matter-of-fact uh, synopsis. <laughs> it seems to be a lot of 
these persons are not who they seem to be, or yes. things uh, take a turn with that, the Jane Campions. That's drama, um, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first time I heard about this film was from Gemma Gracewood on the Letterbox podcast. So again, featuring, <laughs> linking back to New Zealand again. Um, it's a film that at the, when at the time of the release, it was like kind of critically panned. I think it's at like a 40 or 50% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. 34. But apparently over 54. 34. Big bucks. 34. Oh my God. It's brilliant. <laughs> Every time. Uh, yeah, and apparently over time it has been looked at under a different lens and a lot of people are now becoming fans of it. Um, I watched it on movie a while back and it has always kind of stayed with me uh, as a podcast potential, particularly in the whole debate about sex scenes and films and should they be used and whatnot, because this is a erotic thriller and its character about... It, it, it has a character who is like finding has not finding herself sexually but learning to embrace that more or just having more experiences of that i don't know um how was this first time watch for you yeah so this is a film i first found out about from uh, joe downey i had not heard oh, of, who's he <laughs> not i had not seen or heard of this film before um yeah uh so i in my notes i, I was kind of thinking about this film after i watched it and i I felt there was kind of a disparity between me watching it on an entertainment level and on a critical level because from an okay. from an entertainment level I didn't like this at all. I thought it was a bad right. I thought it was a bad film. <laughs> uh <laughs> so first of all like so you have this story of all these murders going on um and Meg Ryan is with this Meg Ryan's character is with this police detective played by Mark Ruffalo who had who's trying to uncover it, but then she realises, oh, maybe he's more involved than I think he is, or is he a bad guy, is he not? That's kind of interesting, but the way the film plays it out isn't great. Like, So first of all, the performances. I don't think Meg Ryan's performance is very good at all. <laughs> I, I really don't. Please, um, please, please uh, tell me more about this, because you've been hinting this to me. Yeah, I, I just... You've been just telling me. <laughs> I think the way I described it to you uh, firsthand was that like she has the same facial expression for about seventy five percent of this film, and then for the last half hour she's just kind of crying, and it's like that's not acting really. I don't know. She just looks yeah. kind of slightly dazed and slightly pissed off for most of this film, and that's kind of it. I thought. I thought the yeah. other performances were fine. Mark Ruffalo's all right. Uh, I think the best performance maybe is Jennifer Jason Leigh. I thought she was. This is pretty where good. you differ. Yeah. Well, I, I had I to think she's shout that good. out because of Discord delay, but <laughs> I, I, I just thought to jump in before you continue. Go on. I, I really, I'm not a fan of Jennifer Jason Lee's performance in this at all. No. Uh, I felt like she was like drunk. It's, it feels like she's drunk throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And also, just the way them two play their sister relationship at the beginning of the film when it's revealed they're sisters, I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't think they were sisters. That's really <laughs> odd. Um, uh, yeah, but, and, Sorry, I completely cut you off. Just, yeah, <laughs> no, I, no, it's me good. Me and you differ when it comes to Jennifer Jason Lee in this film. I agree. She yeah. does seem kind of nauseated throughout the whole film, but I think that kind of works for her because, mm. I, don't, I don't know, because you, you get the sense that both of these characters are quite sort of in this sort of ugly situation, you know, quite sure. a vulnerable situation. I, I, I don't know. I felt like Jennifer Jason Lee 
there felt like there was more layers to her performance. She had more facial expressions, <laughs> more kind of intonation in the way she spoke. It felt like an actual performance. Um, Can we both agree that Kevin Bacon's appearance is so weird? I like it. I th- I, th- I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is weird, no, because it kind of ties into this, um, into her character. So the whole film, one of the things this film is praised for is subverting the male gaze. Uh, because right. it shows you have Meg Ryan's character at the center of this, who's surrounded by all these sort of foul-mouthed, predatory men, and one of them is her ex-boyfriend, played by Kevin Bacon. Right. And his performance in this is very brief, but it I, I quite liked it, actually, because he shows up for a minute. He's You're not really sure what to think of him. You're like, oh, is he okay? We know he's an ex-boyfriend, but what terms mm-hmm. are they on? And they start talking, they start talking, they get closer and closer, and then she kind of pushes them to one side and he has this really sudden outburst which first of all just right. made me laugh because i thought oh that's quite funny and he, i think kevin bacon right. delivers it quite well but also it sort of feeds further into this thing of like she's surrounded by toxic men and how yeah. every time yeah. you see one that might be okay you're like nope this guy's a shit as well yeah there's more <laughs> and un- I th- unpredictable i think that was quite yeah. good like it's it's a brief mo- what well, you weren't a fan of his performance then or oh well uh... I think when I first watched it, it was more so because the film tonally is kind of all over the place and that he's yeah. kind of the most fitting within that because he yeah. is so sporadic. But then, yeah, it's, that scene's comedic the first time and then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I would hate to be in her position. It's kind of proving what... It's kind of showing that how these characters, characters can be unpredictable and the danger that that welcomes um in general what you were saying about uh, dazed earlier i feel like this film in just how i describe it is just seedy and woozy it is this whole film yeah i had a it's note kind of, of yeah. disgusting film I, I had a note about this as well i put that the whole aesthetic of the film is deliberately ugly <laughs> yeah and I, yeah. I and i think it is deliberate because you can tell from the story that it's meant to look like this and it's clearly not I, I don't yeah. think it's like a budget. In, 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 budget in a way, I, I shouldn't really knock. I, I shouldn't really knock the drunkness of Jennifer Jason Lee's performance because the film itself is kind of just this woozy. Yeah, everyone's behaves really weirdly. A type of thing. And yeah. Yeah, it's not only seedy in in terms of environments, but it's seedy in the behaviors of the men, in particularly, in particular, Mark Ruffalo and Nick Demisi. I'm not sure how to pronounce. His I name. think that's right. Him, yeah. him in particular, I. But um, all, all I've I've written in my notes, everyone's kind of disgusting. <laughs> yeah, the whole Except film. Meg, Meg Ryan's probably the most innocent character, and then maybe Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah. But um, ev- everyone else just is not PC, and you know, and not saying that you should be, but like it's more so just like it. it everyone kind of shows their true colors straight away. Absolutely, yeah. And From- still somehow manages to reserve some things, but like. Everyone's just a shit, really. <laughs> Everyone's kind yeah, of a shit. Yeah, definitely. From a tonal, <laughs> aesthetic, and narrative point of view, this is an ugly film. And if you like that sort of thing, you'll like it. But, um, yeah, so from an entertainment... But then still some... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, from an entertainment level, wasn't a big fan. But then, from an analytical level, I kind of liked it a little bit more, but still didn't mm. quite love it. <laughs> so... Again, right. what, what, what this film is known for is subverting the male gaze by having this sort of powerful female character at the forefront. 
But while I was watching the and film... An older female character. An older female character. Uh, but while I was watching the film, I did... It didn't seem immediately obvious that it was subverting the male gaze. I had to think sure. about it for a bit. Because, like, if you take this film at face value, it's kind of... You have Meg Ryan, who's kind of, in my opinion, quite a bland-ish protagonist, maybe partly because of her performance. And she's seduced by this loud-mouthed racist police officer played by Mark Ruffalo. And I thought, right, if this was, if this was like a male director at the forefront, I would immediately dismiss this as a bad film. But you, you kind yeah. of think this film was written by two women and you, you kind of, you look at the film, you look at what it's presenting you this kind of trite character dynamic and you think maybe there is something beneath it. And as the film progressed, surely enough, there is some more to latch onto, which I found quite interesting. It's, um, you know, I, I put in my notes, the film kind of redeems itself as it goes forward by having Meg Ryan doubt her relationship with this police officer. Cause she falls for him right. quite quickly, I think. But yeah, then yeah. later, you know, bits of evidence come into play that make her think, Oh, maybe he's right. the one committing these murders and like i think it works well because one it adds tension to you know it makes her character a little bit more complex and less of a just oh i'm in love with him even though he's racist kind of character and also right. it pro provides oh, on a contest isn't he more sexist than racist i can't remember oh yeah it's sexist oh, racist he's, he's just yeah he's a shit basically <laughs> yeah he's a shit <laughs> and then it and also, like, from, yeah, from a contextual level, it provides more of a nuanced look at how women are taken in by a dangerous man, but are kind of too afraid to speak out, thereby, you know, mm. subverting this male gaze. And it's interesting. It's kind of right. a more intimate look at that sort of internal dynamic that a woman in an abusive even relationship how, would like, have. Yeah, even how, like, it shows uh, Jennifer Jason Lee where her living in the strip club even how it shows the strip club it i feel like in another in another, another director's hands it'll be like right we're in the strip club let's show all these things <laughs> shots 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 and this just kind of it, it it still showcases that they're in a strip club but it doesn't the film doesn't like come to a grinding halt to try and sell some sex in this particular scene yeah um it, it's very matter of fact it's showing how she's not the biggest fan of living there and and just the shows the environment in general but i don't know i feel like yeah in another director's hands that that whole segment of the film would be a bit more flash for lack of a better i get word. that yeah it's it's <laughs> very it doesn't glamorize it it's very much it's going back to this whole thing of the film being ugly i guess and that yeah. whole like the strip club scene uh cements that quite well so yeah it's weird because the, the film isn't glamorous yet it uh it does like does go out of its way to show the intimacy in the sex scenes. Mm. So it's a very non-glamorous, ugly-looking film, and yet I think I think the sex scenes are done kind of well, except for the beginning is just the the thing that she witnesses is like watching porn. That that it's, was the bit that kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, this is this is a different film rating right here. It's but like, very yeah. graphic. Yeah, it's a very yeah. But I I think yeah. What what do you think? In, in regards to how the film uses sex scenes in, in the narrative? Um, oh, God, I'm trying to recall now, because it's been, like, a week and a half now since I've seen this film, so I can't recall all the scenes. I, but I, well, I, remember I guess what I'm trying to get at... I guess what I'm trying to get at is her character, uh, because she has she's kind of re repressed, and then when she meets Mark Ruffalo, she isn't. 
Mm. And I guess, you know, that part of that is because of the first sex scene she witnesses, isn't it? The the very right. graphic one. Uh, that yeah. And, it, weird, you know, weirdly enough, you're saying it's probably... It is the most gratuitous one, but it is the one that's stuck in my brain the most. So maybe right. that that's what Jane Campion wanted, you know, in a right, very yeah, sort of yeah. visceral, sort of primal way. <laughs> she wanted that scene to stick in your head more than the other scenes because sure. it does kind of kickstart the plot in a way. Um, yeah. I, I can't for the life... I can't remember much about the other sex scenes because they, they were more... I think in general, supposedly, from what I've heard of Gemma Gracewood talking about this film is how for the time period that the film was released in, it was kind of foreign to see a leading man go down on a woman as well and stuff like that. And just the relationship bet- between Mark Ruffalo and her because of the age gap and stuff like that. Um, because, yeah, the film is both ugly yet takes its time with the, in- with the intimacy. Mm. So it's kind of like those clashing parts because he is this really brash, disgusting person when it comes to language, but yet is a different person when he's in private with uh, with Meg Ryan. I don't know. Um, I feel like he's a shit either way, kind of, because, you know, <laughs> yeah. in public, he's, like you said, he's very brash and rude and sexist, and I think he's racist as well, probably. But in private, you know, maybe he's a bit more kind of... When they uh, first meet, I'd say. Yeah, maybe he's a bit more reserved, but he's still very boastful. Like, there's a full scene sure. in this film where he's just boasting about how good he is at cunnilingus. <laughs> And it, yeah, it, it feels, yeah. <laughs> it, again, it goes into this thing of like, if, I, if the male director's name was stamped on this film, I would think, fuck off. Right. This is clearly, <laughs> you just, just thinking themselves. You up. just wanted to have this. <laughs> but the fact that it's Jane Campion, it makes you think, okay, maybe it's trying not to glamorize. And like I said, as the film progresses, you know, Meg Ryan has this inner turmoil of like, is, is he a good person? Is he not a good person? Which kind of, and it, yeah, it's right. why I enjoyed the film more on an analytical level than an entertainment level until the ending yeah didn't like the ending i don't want to ruin what it is <laughs> but i just You're gonna have to watch the film <laughs> to find out why Matt yeah didn't like the so th- oh god the ending um i remember i was watching the film and in like the last 10 minutes or so i was thinking to myself oh wouldn't it be stupid if the film ended this way and it, and it did oh. <laughs> and i was like oh fuck you it was bad oh, I, no I, I won't say what the ending is but i feel like if you watch it yourself, I, I feel like it undermines what the film was building up to, this relationship between right. Meg Ryan and Mark Ruffalo. I feel like it kind of strips that away, kind of undermines it. And also it doesn't feel like it was foreshadowed properly. And it just feels... Mm. It, it left a bitter taste in my mouth, especially the last shot of the film with, again, I can't say what it is, but Joe, what, what's, your, <laughs> what's your take on the ending? You've seen this film twice now. Am uh... I... <laughs> From what I've gathered, it's... Oh, I'm really worried that someone's just going to bust in on me recording. Uh, <laughs> from what I've gathered with that whole segment is that it it's showing uh, the how... I don't know how to talk about it because obviously I'm not a girl. But the, <laughs> the mistrust with being with guys in certain environments and who to trust and who not to trust. And then obviously that all gets flipped on its head towards the end. Vaguey, vague, McVague, vague. It gets, but you'll understand yeah. when, when the film happens. It gets flipped on its film. head, but I don't think it was for the best, you know? I thought it was for the best. And also, for the worst. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's, like, things you can read into with 
the lighthouse imagery that's said in the beginning of the film and then comes back at the end. And because she's linking it to a piece of literature, I don't know about it, but it comes back and it's very much a forced, not, there's a very obvious met, met, metaphor in it. But um, yeah, um, I just think one of those characters in particular I really don't like and the performance was done really well because of that. <laughs> um, couple of uh, tidbits. Uh, this was uh, produced by Nicole Kidman. She was originally meant to play Franny, but at the time didn't because she thinks she's going through a divor- the divorce with Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. Um, and I feel like she would have done a better thing. job than Meg oh, Ryan. No. I really do. I, <laughs> I could picture okay, her in that so role. With the Meg Ryan thing, with the Meg Ryan thing, Meg Ryan's reputation before this was quite prim and proper with films like Sleepless in Seattle and stuff like when that. When Harry met Sally. And apparently yeah. It, it, yeah. And apparently this film kind of tarnished it quite a bit because it's such a raw graphic performance. Yeah. Um, which is kind of sad because like you want actors to be able to play whatever and different archetypes. But I think when this was released, I think the world, the world supposedly wasn't ready for that. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of says, it kind of shows that with how panned it's been. I do understand the criticism of this film. It is kind of tonally all over the place. Like there's some bits that aren't meant to be comedic, like play comedic. Um, but it is quite a nuanced and multifaceted film at the same time. It's just, it's perfectly imperfect. Is how I, Do you think you've gained more? Do you think you've gained more from a rewatch? Oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it was available on movie. It's no longer available there, so you'd have to rent it in wherever you can. Um, but yeah, that was that was in the cut. Uh, let us know what you think. Um, in general, I, do, I, I, I don't want to do the thing that we do on our spikely episode, which is where we backtrack in our criticisms. <laughs> no, I stand by but, what I said. <laughs> but in, in terms of showcasing a filmmaker, I still think yeah, I still think people should see these films. But that yeah. They're, yeah, go not, go check out you know. Jane Campion. Um, she is definitely a filmmaker yeah. worth um, reflecting on with with her films and her yeah. choices. Even if a lot of them don't do stuff that I think is particularly sure. good, she's worth a look. Movie swiftling on to a, her most popular and most critically praised film is The Piano, and um, and I've put for this uh, synopsis. Ada McGrath, played by Holly Hunter, is a mute who travels from Scotland to New Zealand with her daughter Flora, played by Anna Paquin, and her beloved piano, played by Piano. No. <laughs> uh, Ada is going to marry Alistair Stewart, played by Sam Neill, when she meets Baines, Harvey Keitel, uh, a man who works for Alistair and is helping him acquire Maori land. When Baines asks for piano lessons from Ada, the two fall in love and Ada's safety gets tarnished. Very good. Very good. Thank you. My, shall I go for mine? I, I googled how to pronounce Maori. Oh, nice. Location. Uh, so, <laughs> this is, so shall I do mine? Yeah. Uh, so this is a film taking place in the mid-19th century and follows a woman who has been mute since the age of six and is sold into marriage to a New Zealand man and is so brought to New Zealand along with her daughter and her piano. She soon well, loses a better clarification. She soon <laughs> loses interest in this man and instead forms an unlikely relationship with his friend who has adopted Maori customs. I gave a thumbs up to Matt then, so yeah. it's a long time to drink some water. Um, I have the least to say about this film, weirdly I've, enough, I've even got though notes. it's the most hyped 
<laughs> it's the most popular. Yes. Um, to kind of put a bow on it, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd say it's a beautiful looking film, but all I remember from it is how tragic it is. It is a tragic film. Um, and yeah, I, I, even though, you know, arguably this is the best film we're talking about, I have some positive and negative points to bring up about it. Um, right. First of all, so my first note here is that everything with Holly Hunter is fantastic, I think. Uh, oh, she's brilliant. Her, she's so good her performance film. is fantastic. She's so good. And just her character as well. I love her just really adamant attachment to this piano she has. I think it's really compelling yeah. and it works really well because you, you get the sense, obviously, she's mute. So this piano is her only means for expressing herself and it keeps her happy. It keeps her going. It's really just compelling to watch, and it's it's really unique and wonderful. And also, Anna Paquin is also really good. I think she adds oh, yeah, a lot yeah. of personality to her character. I think it's really great. And just the relationship between so their characters, Ada, played by Holly Hunter, and Flora, played by Anna Paquin, is just really great. There's a good, I think I put here, there's a good codependency between them, yeah. in the sense that it's the classic sort of mother-daughter relationship, but also the mother needs the daughter as a means for communication. And it's just, it's really wholesome to watch. I, I really love it. Um, yeah, another positive... Can we po- talk about Harvey Keitel's <laughs> accent? <laughs> Sorry, uh, completely. <laughs> you, you, you're bursting, no, ahead, you're ahead, bursting. Uh, Harvey Keitel, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to him in a minute, but um, just another yeah, positive point. Thank you. Like you said, the film is really well... Yeah, start with the positive. Yeah, the, the <laughs> film's really well directed. I think it's like with Power of the Dog, Jane Campion knows how to just hold on a shot really well, keep yeah. it like nice and intimate. In this film, it lends itself less to awkwardness and more to sort of warmth and intimacy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of very yeah. slow and tender moments in this film, really nice cinematography. Uh... And they do these shots where they hold do a really good job to express the sort of mixed feelings that Ada Holly Hunter's character is feeling, and it you know the inner turmoil she's feeling about these two men who have just been introduced into her life. Uh, those yeah. are the positives I have. So do you want to do you want to get into Harvey Keitel? <laughs> the negative being Harvey, no. Harvey Keitel is very good in this film. It's just his Kiwi accent is all over the place and it's very distracting. Um, if he yeah. is meant to be Kiwi, if he is meant to be from New Zealand, um, he is. Yeah, just not. I think I, yeah, I think I didn't. I I, I remember messaging you in the film, <laughs> being like, "Is Anna Paquin's character meant to be from Scotland?" And you're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh," because okay, <laughs> I thought she was. I didn't know for certain. Um, to be fair, I also, did. I have I to. Found, I had to Google it to remind myself that they were uh, Scottish. They yeah, I, I found out uh, today that the character's name Flora never gets said throughout the entirety of the film. Really? Which is odd. Yeah. How the hell did you find mm. that out? Was that like on IMDb or something? Or? IMDb. Fuck it. No, I thought you were like listening very intently to the whole film. Be like, oh, when no. are they going to say no, Flora? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Names. Um, um, and it, or, I guess also Harvey Keitel's, I, f- I don't know his first name, but everyone calls him Baines, which was his last name. Um, I yeah. I think, I think the piano and the power of the dog are the most similar out of these three films. Not just because okay. they're both period pieces, but just in their pacing and they're less sporadic than in the cut. Um, well, even though they're both slow burns, I found that the piano kind of flew by way more despite the runtime. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, just, I've got the Holly Hunter is brilliant in it. Um, it's the Sam Neill's a shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I, 
do have a bit of contention with is that even though Ada and Baines fall in love and it's meant to be the good relationship because Sam Neill is the villain, um, the way that relationship happened, I found a bit iffy and dodgy and kind of weird. This was one, of, yeah. This was one of my negative kind of points forceful, as well. Which is weird because the film clearly wants you to hate the forcefulness of Sam Neill. Whereas I think Sam Neill and Harvey Keitel are just as bad as each other. In a way, yeah. This was one of the negative points I had <laughs> yeah. as well. So my my first sort of all-encompassing negative note on this film was that although it is lovely at times, it does feel a bit simple, I think. And that okay. goes into what you were saying about... So yeah, Harvey Keitel's character is also abusive and overbearing. But Ada falls for him, oh, because he's interesting and different. He's like this... Right. This from a different culture. And it feels a bit dated, in that regard, like right. uh, it feels like something that was written in maybe the 1950s or something, like one of those sort of classic. I do, I do Oscar think it's dated in, in how in in how he's like the spokesperson for the Maori people. Yeah, I think that, that's a very dated Hollywood trope. Because this was it another feels note. Very dances with wolves. Yeah, like. <laughs> this was another note I had about all the Maori characters and how in my notes I wrote that they were basically like Oompa Loompas in this film they're not really given right. characters they're just kind of there to move stuff around and th- yeah. there's one yeah. scene where they th- there's like the, a play that they put on isn't there and one of the maori characters yeah, it, freaks it, it, out it, it, because oh i can't yeah it, yeah it's not good it's it's not no, it's, it's like dated it's like oh how silly of that maori character anyway let's go back to the story about the white people it's a bit yeah, yeah. it's not great also sam yeah. neil's character i think He's serviceable, and, you know, Sam Neill, I like him a lot as an actor. I've really liked yeah. a lot of his other performances. Um, I feel like his character is a bit simple in this, a bit kind of too easy to dislike, in a way. Do you think he's a bit 2D? He's a bit 2D, and, um, like, it goes back to this whole the film feeling a bit simple and, like, a sort of classic right. Oscar bait thing. It's like, this is a character is the villain, we all hate him. It is the most Oscar-y film, it, not it, just in what it, the awards it got, but it plays like an Oscar film. It does, it does. And, yeah, I felt like it was... The whole romantic love triangle felt a little bit two-dimensional in that regard. It is lovely at certain points. Jane Campion directs it really well, and the performances are good. But from a, like, foundational level, it does lack nuance, I think, where, you know, that's right. where Power of the Dog succeeded this film kind of fails in a way a little bit yeah also the ending I think, i'm not a big fan of as well sorry what were you gonna uh, say but i'll get into that in a I minute, just, but... just, oh, oh, it's just it's just like such a it goes like it, it does hammer home the tragic elements and it gets to the point where it's just like she just she just wants to play a piano <laughs> just looks, you know just let her do that <laughs> like that's how it feels like um <laughs> Yeah, uh, but at the same time, any shortcomings of that are saved by just how beautiful it looks. And yeah, it's a nice similar to Power of the Dog, it's the New Zealand backdrops. Um, <laughs> even though Power of the Dog is a different, it's set somewhere not in New Zealand. It's set in Montana. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea of landscapes versus like la- landscape cinematography versus just like is it good? Sure. I don't know how to phrase that, but do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know. Uh, just going back. This is another one, like within the cut, I have a problem with the ending, but I don't know how much I can talk about it. (laughs) 
how, how comfortable. Watch the film on Netflix to find out <laughs> what we're talking about. Guys, uh, yeah, pause the podcast now. Come back in two hours. Yeah. And, uh, no, no. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, again, the, I felt like the ending was a little bit mm. of a cop-out ending. I feel like the conflict... It was a bit tacked on as well. It feels a bit kind of... There's a sort of magical element to this film. Yeah. That yeah. plays into the ending, and it feels a little bit too sentimental and easy, for the, and it sort of solves the major conflict in the film a bit too easily. And like yeah. it feels like the whole... Um, was it the revelation kind of happens off screen almost because it's like oh right. everything's fine now we're, we're going back on the boat yeah <laughs> um, and the, yeah it kind of lacks tension in that way but the the epilogue is nice i thought with um yeah, yeah. again can't reveal what it is but right. yeah it's it's nice it's a nice epilogue but yeah the, the kind of do you, do you want to hear a do you, do you want to hear a imdb goof go on so uh, Harvey Keitel's character can't read, and yes. there's a plot point where Harvey Keitel's character has to read a message. He can't read though, and yet the film at, like expects you to, that he's going to read the message. I'm just struggling to remember now. <laughs> the uh, piano, I'm... the pia- piece of the piano with the oh, message. Oh, of it. course, yes, yeah. I, I really apologise, everyone listening. It's I'm not fresh <laughs> off these films. I'm. Referring okay. mainly to my notes that I wrote a little while ago. I watched these films about well, a week ago. Like like <laughs> Campion films, you have to mull over them. You have bit, to mull so over if them, we're yeah. Not fully, if, we're, if we're not fully there with it, it's because we're still ingesting. It's because we're wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, that too. Um, also, guys, I have to apologise if I seem a bit, uh, what's it, like, jumpy. It's because uh, I've, I've got a time limit on the location I'm in. But um, I don't know, like, why, why do you reckon this film... Uh, out of all of them, plays so well to the masses. Like it's the most has the most mainstream appeal. Uh, well, like I said, it's probably got the simplest story of all the films. Right. Of the three films we're talking about, it's got the sim- simplest kind of most appealing story. It's it's a sort of forbidden romance which we've seen a hundred times in Hollywood films. Um, right. Like you said, it, it kind of mirrors other Oscar-y films like Dances with Wolves and films like that. Um, yeah. And you know that's kind of the cynical reason, but also it is Av- Avatar. It Avatar, thank you. Oh, uh, that is yeah. That's kind of a cynical way of looking at it, but also like I said before, it is just a very well directed, well made film with really fantastic performances. So uh, Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin both won Oscars for this for um, yeah. best actress and best supporting actress respectively. And I think Jane Campion got an Oscar as well. She did for best original screenplay. Um, yeah. She also got nominated for Best Director, and the film was nominated for Best Picture as well. And I think there were... Was she beaten by Spielberg? Spielberg, yeah, for Schindler's List, yes. which yeah. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, it's, a, it's definitely a good film. Uh, aside from all my criticism about it, I would definitely recommend it to people because it is... Right. It, it's a good time. It's a good time to watch, and although it doesn't do the romance element quite as well as it could have done. I think the characters do feel very tangible and for the most part quite well written. And there is a kind of warmth to this film, which I think a lot of people will will resonate with and a lot of turmoil that is explored through it that I think a lot of people can resonate with as well. Even though it's the most palatable of the three films, it still doesn't like, it doesn't like, 
tread lightly on the tragic elements. Like it still, it still shows the danger that uh, Ada's in. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is still stomachable, but it is still tragic is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I guess one quick thing to, to wrap up on, uh, or actually, I don't know. I, I think repression only really fits with the power of the dog and in the cut. I can't really, I guess she's repressed of her voice. Are you trying to find a through line um, for all these, these films? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause I feel like those, that's the most common theme, but I just less so with the piano. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd say definitely see this one for the actors and the landscapes and the score. It's a very nice score. Um, who, I can't remember did, the composer. Yeah, I was going to ask because <laughs> I can't. Michael something. I know that. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I, I have all these tabs of the it, all the details and I haven't looked at them. <laughs> <laughs> Got all the way. Uh, I have to say, I can't remember the score greatly, but I, I remember. I think near the a beginning. Lot of piano music. I'll give you that. <laughs> really? There you are. <laughs> oh wow! I wonder why. Uh, I remember mm. the beginning sounding nice. I think the score-wise, yeah. it sounded very pretty. Um, also, it's another Harvey Keitel film where he gets his kit off. He was big into that in this era of filmmaking. Uh, this and Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> I haven't seen Bad Lieutenant. Well, spoiler, he gets his kit off in that. Okay, um, am I watching he, tonight? That's what he was doing as an actor at that time. <laughs> uh, also, you, you said this to me when we, when we were watching it. It's weird to think that this came out before Pulp Fiction. Yeah, this was the year before Pulp Fiction. This was pre-Winston yeah. Wolf. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Although his Kiwi accent is dodge, it's still a good Harvey Keitel performance. I think, yeah, like I said, definitely watch for the actors and for the landscape. And... Uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of Jane Campion's films. Um, this is technically a New Zealand episode as well. Uh, so we've covered a lot of bases. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, also, Matt, next week, the 11th, is uh, our anniversary. Oh, I was wondering when it was our anniversary. Yeah. 11th of Feb. Oh, yeah, of when we first recorded, because we released them later on. But yeah, I we'll thought... Have to, um, wow. Yeah. I thought we recorded in January, the first one. No, no. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Two-year anniversary. Yeah, time's flying by. Oh, yeah. well, happy anniversary, <laughs> we'll Joe. To, we'll have to do something. It's been, yeah, a, it's, it's been a pleasure these last two years. I'll get you a, a film-based meal. <laughs> I'll get you licorice on pizza. <laughs> Thank you. I'll get you a piano. Thank you. Oh, I, I hated how Benedict Cum- Cumberbatch's character in Power of the Dog said Panano instead of Piano. Did they? I didn't notice that. Weird. <laughs> weird little tidbit. Panano. But, um, I, don't, I'm wor- I don't want guys to think that this is rushed. I, I, I <laughs> think we've covered a decent basis with, this, with these films without spoiling them. You kind of have to fully know what's happening in order to, to discuss them with us, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. But... When you do, let us know what you think. Let us know your readings and interpretations, because I feel like, if anything, more so with these films, require that than say others. Uh, these, th- this is like the most one of the most like you can interpret one thing from this character than the other, and da 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 da. Um, especially with how certain films take uh, take up on a different meaning after they were released, particularly within the cut. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think, and we'll be sure to meet you soon with... I'm sure we'll have a fun one for our anniversary, or just a nice little fun 
pick and mix bag of films. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you guys want to suggest anything, let us know. Um, I've been Joe Downey. And I've been Matt Parkinson. And that's... A... Rap. What do you think of that one? <laughs> <laughs>